0: My goodness me, these are interesting times. Happy Friday, everybody. But there's a lot going on politically, market, economically, and monetary policy. We'll try and encapsulate that, Karen and I, over the next three hours. But at the core of what we're going to talk about this morning is that global equities led by indices such as this are coming under a lot of pressure led by tech stocks in the US and the Nikkei in Asia as central banks around the world tighten monetary policy. Uh, Sterling's actually rallying though. This on the back of the Bank of England. Hiking rates for the first time in three years. And despite Covid cases hitting another record, the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey says economic concerns have forced the move.
1: We've seen uh, evidence of a very tight labour market and we're seeing more persistent inflation pressures now, and that's what we have to act on.
2: Hong Kong is prepared to head to the polls this weekend in the first major vote since China overhauled the electoral process. We'll be live in the city in just a few minutes' time. Meantime, back in Kiev, NATO Secretary Jens Stoltenberg gives Ukrainian President Zelensky the alliance's full support amid rising tensions with Russia, telling CNBC Moscow could act out despite its waning economy.
3: Russia um, is a... Uh power
0: in decline. Even an economy in decline uh, and a power in economic decline can be a threat. I think there's an enormous amount going on. I have done for quite a while, and and you know that. You've been watching the show, and Karen and I have been trying to talk you through some of these really interesting moves in markets. Safe to say, this time yesterday, I was standing here, and I was talking to you about why on earth the Nasdaq would have rallied, why the US markets would have rallied as well. Uh, And we kind of found a rationale, didn't we? We thought that the Fed was getting a little bit more credibility back. They'd had a good communications policy. uh, And, in fact, it was a bit about positioning. But I think this session actually that we saw last night was rather telling about some of the bigger trends that are going on and will be going on on the back of everything that's going on in monetary policy world, let alone uh, what's going on with COVID-19, let alone what's going on with some of the disturbing geopolitics that Karen was referring to there with NATO and Ukraine and what have you uh, in the headlines there. Karen's going to talk you through the big bank on monetary policy and what's been going on there uh, and certainly some of the central banks in a few moments time. I'll do a little bit of markets here because... I think, and we had a bit of discussion editorially about this before the show, I think what we're seeing is something fascinating, I mean, really quite interesting in US markets, and it could be a pivot, could be, I'm not saying I'm not calling it, it could be a pivotal moment in US markets, not just at the moment, but for the next year. Because a trend I've been talking to you about for a little while, and I'll spend a bit of time on this, I make no apologies, is the fact that there are so many stocks that are not having their story told by the enormous moves to the upside we're seeing in the NASDAQ, and the S&P and the the Dow, but especially the S&P in many ways. It is only a tiny handful, and I'll come to that in a moment, don't worry about changing the board yet, but there is only a tiny handful of stocks which have led us higher. It's something I've been talking about, others as well. Goldman Sachs has been talking about this as well. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of US stocks at the medium to smaller end of the market that have found themselves in correction territory and have found themselves in bear market territory. We've seen it in things such as Kathy uh, Wood's funds as well, which have been falling aggressively, on the back of concerns about a lot of those smaller companies, whether they be tech or not. This could be real economy companies, it could be growth companies as well. But the fact of the matter is, a tiny, tiny handful of stocks has led us higher, right? We've established that. That, That's irrefutable, we're all agreeing, yeah? So what happens if we see a rotation out of those stocks but that money doesn't necessarily find its way into some of those smaller names which have been under pressure. Then that makes it interesting on the moves for these markets. For instance, and we'll move to the tech actually, thank you Will, Uh, but some of these names yesterday which have been absolutely stratospheric to the upside, they saw a big sell off, didn't they? Look, for instance, NVIDIA was down 6.8%. That is one of the big, big names that have led us up higher for the year. Apple, even bigger company, one of the titans. And look, nobody is saying that this company is going down aggressively. Nobody is saying it's not one of the most brilliant companies on the planet, led brilliantly and with fantastic products. But when Apple falls 4% and you don't see a counterweight prop somewhere else, then you have to start thinking. When you get Alphabet down 1.7%, Netflix down 2.3%, these are tiny moves. Honestly, even 5% on Tesla, these are tiny moves compared with the upside we've seen. But the problem is that upside we've seen has led us to valuations where you can't necessarily be supported compared with historical averages. Now, I know these companies are blasting a path which kind of blows history out of the way in many ways. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't see a counterweight to these big, big names falling, then markets are going to be in for a much Harder time. Right, I'll move on now because I've made my point and Karen's got a lot to say as well in a moment. So let's have a look at the treasuries. Again, very low yield on the 10 year, despite the fact that we could have eight rate hikes by the end of 2024, 142. That's Karen's domain, we'll do that in a few moments time. Let's have a look at the uh, dollar crosses as well. And what we're seeing here isn't, I don't think a sell off in the dollar. Now that sounds a bit counterintuitive, but I think what we're seeing is buying of the other side of the pair. Yeah, just see what I'm saying. I know it's the same thing. I know I'm being pedantic, but you have two reasons why a pair moves. One is because of what's going on in the dollar. One is what's going on with the other side. And I think the power people were a bit surprised. I was surprised. I didn't even know they'd go for it. To be honest, it's only 0.15 of 1% from the Bank of England. Again, she's going to be doing that in a moment. She's waiting patiently. I can see her poring over her computer. She's actually got the thinker pose, the Rodin pose there. But she's not envisioned. So <laughs> but 0.1 of 1% for sterling there as well. She's smiling. That's good. Uh, dollar. It's got a 1.13 handle now rather than 1.12. Dollar yen. Again, dollar coming off a little bit. I think it's about the other side of the trade the fact that some pandemic support from the BOJ is disappearing right let's have a look at the old price very quickly as well this one's interesting 74.41 for Brent crude uh 71.65 for WTI it's been a real battle royale for the bulls and the bears on this one and they really are confused as the rest of us as well let's have a look at the Asian indices and where they're currently trading again There's a lot going on politically, key elections in Hong Kong. We can say that much as well. Of course, it's a live election. So there's only so much you can say, of course, about what's going on when you have a live election. But Emily will give us some great coverage on that in a few moments time. The Nikkei responding to that withdrawal of some of the emergency pandemic support. Shanghai Composite concern about some tech stocks as well. What's going on there? And the ASX 200 uh, is running on the back of the ashes, I'm sure. Uh, The fact that uh, the Aussies are wiping the floor of us. Talking of Aussies, my favorite Aussie is about to join me now. Karen Cho.
2: <laughs> Steve, you ran through a lot of big stats Then the one that jumped out to me was around the cloud computing ETF that is down 24% from its recent highs. And we've been pointing out for many, many sessions coming up to the Fed meeting that there might be a race against time for some big technology names to prove their worth. And, you know, if investors think the rates are tightening, it does potentially change the storyline around some of these big technology names. And that is one area of the market where we've seen a lot of hot air uh, come out in very quick, quick, uh, very quick times. So let's push on and take a look at some big central bank activity and it all together. As the Bank of Japan has announced it will begin winding down its pandemic relief stimulus ahead of its March expiry date. However, the central bank kept its benchmark rate at negative 0.1% and 10-year bond yield targeted at 0%, a sign it intends to keep monetary policy ultra-loose. According to the BOJ, economic conditions are improving despite ongoing COVID fears. The ECB will exit its Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program or PEP, in March as it looks to stave off surging inflation in the euro area. However, will also ramp up its longer-running asset purchase program from €20 billion Euros per month to €40 billion in the second quarter and €30 billion in the third. The central bank expects inflation to stabilize back towards its 2% target by 2023. European equities closed higher after the announcement. Well, ECB President Christine Lagarde said despite rising Omicron cases, she was optimistic about the eurozone.
3: We are venturing in the realm of uncertainty, uh, and, and it's, it, it will uh, have impact. But in the first place, we should acknowledge
1: that our economies have become more resilient, stronger, and are more capable of adjusting wave after wave after wave and variant after variant.
2: It was really the Bank of England that stole the headlines yesterday and the UK became the first economy among its G7 peers to hike rates since the outbreak of the pandemic. In a surprise move, the Bank of England raised its benchmark rate to 0.25%. The BOE justified the move, saying it expects inflation to hit 6% in April, three times its target rate. But the hike also risks putting more strain on British businesses, which could face further COVID restrictions amid a surge in Omicron cases. Meanwhile, Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey says the bank has been monitoring inflation closely and is worried about the impact of price pressures on the economy.
1: The labour market is very tight at the moment. And companies around the country, when I talk to them, tell me this. This is the, this is the number one story to talk about. Difficulties of recruitment. Secondly, there are, I have to say, signs of um, the inflationary pressures, which, of course, are, you know, are, are difficult. You know, inflation, uh, just over 5% is difficult. What we've been looking very closely at is how, how persistent it's likely to be. And there are signs now of you know, more persistent uh, price pressures. And that is a concern to us.
2: Stay tuned throughout the morning because we'll be discussing uh, the Bank of England surprise move with the chief economist, Hugh Hill. That exclusive is coming up at 10.30 CET. But Steve, you know, we thought we'd had a rate hike last month. We didn't get one. We have more uncertainty around the variant. But we did get a rate hike instead of it being pushed out into next year. And the Bank of England not exactly giving the market the timing that it had expected.
0: No, I, I think they had to move, didn't they? Pressure from the IMF as well. Pressure on that six-handle potentially coming on CPI. We've already got a seven-handle on RPI. It's getting a bit tricky, isn't it? Let's be honest about it, though. They only moved 0.15 of 1%. It, it wasn't that stratospheric, but it was a marker. I agree, Karen, and a very important one at that. Let's get to our next guest who will talk about this. Uh, Simon Lufong is head of fixed income at Von uh, Asset Management. Simon, really nice to see I'm uh, loving the tree, sir. Goodness me. You Merry Christmas. Be, you couldn't be more festive if you tried. So well done you. I'm a bit of an old Scrooge on that front, uh, as my team keeps telling me. Now, look, Simon, in all honesty, I'm seeing markets around the world having a minor wobble, a little bit of a, a tantrum, but a tiny one at the moment, because they're seeing a little bit tighter money everywhere they, look, everywhere they look. Is this going to be a sustained thematic or are they going to shake off their funk and actually get on with it again?
3: Well look I think that they've uh, you 've seen the the first g7 central bank move rates uh, with the Bank of England yesterday uh, I think it's justified uh, I think you know you talk about yeah, you heard Andrew Bailey talk about the persistence of inflation and I think it was just getting way too uncomfortable and actually for all central bankers around the world um, inflation is 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 feeling too uncomfortable and they and, and they have to blink um and they and the Bank of England have blinked as you said it 's not Um, incredibly um, aggressive in the move, Um, but it is a sign that you shall see more central banks uh, continuing to move in one direction. Um, And I think that's quite normal.
0: In terms of your world, the fixed income world, tell me exactly, tell my viewers why I keep telling them that we had 176 yield on the 10-year in March, but now when we have eight potential rate hikes, including to the, uh, according to the SEP, the dot plot, we have eight potential rate hikes by the end of 2024. Why am I trying to explain to my viewers that we're at 141? I don't understand what I'm trying to say to them.
3: Yeah, look, I think that um, we're, in a, we're in a completely different world. I mean, I started in the bond markets in 1991, and in a way the framework which everybody used to invest upon has just changed, and the and the world has changed. Uh, and we are in a new environment. We're in a very uncertain one uh, that we've never been before. Uh, for me, I, I strongly believe that part of the solution to get out of all of the debt that has been created uh, from the global financial crisis in 2008, and then uh, with the COVID crisis uh, that began in March 2020, I think that Part of that solution is to encourage growth, uh, and that's what the easy liquidity uh, conditions have done. Uh, But then part of it is also to inflate or to have negative real yields. Um, And I think that what you'll see is you'll see central banks continue to be behind the curve on the old template, so to speak, as we move forward. And I think, therefore, the market is actually feeling relatively comfortable about central banks like the Fed uh getting sort of, you know, in a way coming up to the curve on what the market was thinking. And therefore it doesn't have to pad it doesn't have to panic. Um and therefore you don't have to see aggressive uh moves in bond markets because actually a lot has been priced in by the market. It's the central banks that have been behind the curve.
2: Simon, it's Karen jumping in. I want to ask you about how rate hikes work this time around, because it feels like we've got a bit of an experiment. Prices have been rising because of some of the bottlenecks in production. And the Bank of England changed its mind because companies were saying that they'd increased prices, what, by 5% over the past year? And we're also planning to increase prices again by another 4.2% by 2022. So they're seeing pressures in the system, pressures from wages going up from employees demanding more. And they're just tweaking some of these prices and prices does Doesn't the interest rate hike stop that when we still have bottlenecks in production
3: well exactly i mean look i think that it, it doesn't really stop that actually and i think you know what does stop it is is time uh and we need time for this to work out i think you'll start to hear central banks who begin to raise rates uh talk about seeing a peak in inflation at some point and even the ecb uh in, in their statement you could hear them uh talking and, and you can see the trajectory uh that yes they believe that inflation will be above their target this year uh but in the uh in, in the next two years it'll be back um in their target range. And that's telling you that uh they are giving us the messaging that they believe that whilst nobody wants to talk or use that word transitory anymore, because that implied short term, uh, that they do believe uh, that there will be a peak in inflation uh, next year at some point.
2: Can I get into some of the criticism around Andrew Bailey, because the market just feels as though he's misfiring when it comes to communication. They've been primed for a rate hike last month. They didn't get it. And then they thought the one this month might be pushed out because of the uncertainty around the new variant. But then they did get a rate hike. Do you think that there is a problem here that Bailey needs to change his communication style so the market has some more certainty here about the outlook?
3: Yeah, no, not really. You know, I think it's to me it's not really a surprise. And um I think the market always moans a little bit, the participants. Um, I think it was fine and and, and it's not a massive surprise. And actually you can see that it's not a massive surprise actually, uh, because the uh the volatility or at least the uh, uh the moves, if you look at the ten year, I mean it moved like eight basis points uh yesterday from from the lows to the highs. Uh, and today um will probably open up almost where it was uh, the day before, so um, yeah, I don't, I don't really see that as a problem. Um, and actually, in in some ways, you know, I, I always look at what happens to the currencies uh, when you get a, um, a a move by a central bank. You know, it, it, is it was it taken positively or negatively? Uh, and yesterday, you saw sterling rally, so I think that was a positive sign. Uh, whereas, if you look at something like Turkey, uh, who cut rates um, yesterday for the fourth time, uh, you can see that their currency was down. Uh, by almost six percent. Um, so, so yeah. So I think the currency can give you can be a sort of barometer of of, of how the market uh, is is taking these moves by central bank governors.
0: Simon, final one for me, and it affects, of course, Switzerland as well, where we've got a, a steadfast -0. 0.75 rate still from the SB and and Thomas Jordan, as we heard yesterday as well. But what's going wrong in Europe? We went into COVID nineteen before the United States, and we're coming out of the support package months, if not years, after the United States, with Madame Lagarde still saying there will be no rate hike in 2023. What's wrong with Europe structurally that means that we have much more support having to be needed in terms of monetary policy, asset purchase programme, lower interest rates for far longer than the United States? Why aren't we dynamic enough in Europe?
3: Well, I'm not sure that, that, that that's true, that we're not dynamic enough. I think that, you know, it's just a... Uh, a stance that's taken to to ensure that, you know, we we have the support because I do do think that there are fears there uh, that growth can definitely um, undershoot uh, if it doesn't have the support. And I think that's not just uh, in Europe, but actually it's elsewhere in the world as well. Um, You know, even if we get past this COVID uh, aspect, which, by the way, you know, looks like it may be with us for, um, you know, at least the next year and beyond, Um, I think, you know, even before we came into COVID, uh, growth potential around the world was undershooting. So I think I think it's just a different stance with uh, uh, policymakers uh, deciding that they would rather um, bet on having more accommodation rather than less uh, due to growth.
2: Simon, if we get into those expectations now around rate hikes from the ECB, I mean, looking at Berenberg, they're saying 225 basis point rate hikes in 2023 and three further hikes in 2024. But there's a lot of water between now and 2023, and pretty much anything could happen between now and then, multiple variants, for instance, uh, let alone anything else we're not even thinking about. Does anyone care about that then, other than the bond market in terms of pricing? It seems very hard to do much with that information.
3: I I agree. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, well, I mean, say people do care, um, but I'm not sure what, what they can do with that. I mean, you know, for me, you know, when I think about next year for the bond markets, I mean, if you look at a global ag index uh, this year, uh, it was down about minus one and a half percent. I think going forward for the bond markets that uh, they will continue uh, to struggle um, to, to, to produce uh, um, sort of interesting returns for investors, uh, but are they the, the source of major risk I don't think so. Probably there's, you know, I was listening to your show earlier, there's probably a lot more risks in the equity market uh, than there are in the bond markets. Uh, the bond markets are definitely poised uh, for interest rate rises. Um, and, uh, you know, whilst you might not be able to make, uh, you know, great returns in bond markets, um, from, from a beta perspective, or from the index perspective, not active management, uh, but probably the real risks uh, lie in some of the equity markets or riskier parts of the, um, the asset allocation preferences.
0: All right, Simon, you started in the bond market in 91. I started from equities to bonds uh, about three years later New, so you got me on that one. But I still want this debate with you at some stage about how dynamic or otherwise Europe is. Uh, I think you and I could have a strenuous debate. We're going to have to leave it till next year. Nice to see you though, my friend, and I love the tree, so thank you very much indeed, Merry Simon Christmas. Louis Fong. Yeah, Merry Christmas, sir. Uh, Head of Fixed Income, uh, Fontabel Asset Management. Uh, Simon alluded to the Turkish Lira there. Do you want to see this? Well, not if you're along the Turkish Lira, you don't. Wow. Uh, you know, sometimes I just have to say one thing to you, and that, well, that, the 30-day move, look at that, the 30-day move. I'm not even giving you the year, which is over 100% move, by the way, down versus the greenback, 30 days. So what did we get? What do we get? What, what's going on with this uh, 20% plus inflation over, there's a year, sorry, yep, 114%. You want to see what inflation could do if you mishandle it? So the Turkish Central Bank, or the President's Office, you take your pick, has now decided to cut interest rates by 1% in the last 24 hours, yeah? And what have they done to fight the markets? They've upped the minimum wage by 50%. I don't know. I don't any more than you do. Turkish lira continues to decline after the country's central bank announced it's cutting its key interest rate by 100 basis points to 14%, but suggested it could pause monetary easing in early 2022. Right, okay. President Erdogan has insisted, notice we're going straight to the president, not the central bank governor. Uh, President Erdogan has resisted calls to raise rates, even as inflation continues to soar above 21%, with the lira losing over 50% of its value against the dollar this year. However, Erdogan... uh, has announced a 50% rise, as I say, in minimum wages next year in an attempt to address the rising cost of living. Yeah, when it comes entrenched in wages, we were told then, given our Phillips Curve knowledge, that that's when inflation becomes baked in. No? Okay. Meanwhile, Russia's central bank is expected to raise rates. Uh, no mucking around from Mrs. Nabotlina. She's she's very strong on this. Uh, is expected to raise rates by a percentage point later this morning, causing the ruble to firm slightly against the greenback after falling earlier in the week. Policymakers uh, hope to combat rising prices with household inflationary forecasts at just under 15% for the coming year. Right, Karen?
2: coming up on the show hong kongers head to the polls this weekend and the first major vote since the electoral overhaul will be live in the city in just a moment's time and for more on the global monetary policy tightening as the central banks look to curb inflation be sure to subscribe to the squawk Box podcast Hong Kong will vote for its next legislative council this Sunday. The first LEGCO since poll since China overhauled the electoral process in the city earlier this year. Well let's get out to Emily Tan with more. Emily, just walk us through what's going to be
1: happening. Hi, good to see you, Karen, and I'm just outside the Legislative Council as we head into the uh, Legislative Council elections this weekend. They take place on Sunday, December the 19th, and uh, what are we expecting? Well, we got uh, 4.5 million registered voters in the city here, and they're going to be selecting out of 100. 53 candidates, 90 Legislative Council members. But what's different this year is this is gonna be the first time we have a major election following the electoral forms uh, that were imposed uh, earlier this year back in May. Uh, With these reforms, we got a major power change, a power shift within the Legislative Council. Previously, it was 70 members. That has been now upped to 90, but the direct elected members has been reduced significantly. Previously, there were 35 seats that made up half of the legislative council it has now been whittled down to 20 out of 90 seats in total Bro- breaking it down this way uh, we got 20 geographical constituency 30 in the functional and 40 in the election committee the response to this election is expected to be lukewarm because uh, this is gonna be the first time it is without pan democrats as well and you may ask well why are there no opposition members going in well the number of seats number one has been drastically reduced there's an arduous nomination process and then a number of the opposition opposition figures are now in jail uh, they've been charged with conspiring to commit subversion forty seven of them have been arrested and are currently in jail, waiting waiting uh, to be heard in a trial uh, for participating in primaries back in 2019. Some are in self-exile and then some have been barred from running. So this raises some concern whether or not the Legislative Council, without these opposition makers, whether or not it will be able to uphold one of its duties is the checks and balances with the government. I got a chance to speak to Henry Tang. He is a standing committee member of the CPPCC. He's the former chief secretary here in Hong Kong, also the former Financial secretary, this is what he had to say about the, the coming up polls. Most countries require their parliamentary uh, members or their executive branch members to be patriots of their country and work for the overall good of their country. So I would not say that there are no pan Democrats. I would say that there are pan Democrats in there in, in terms of a number of candidates, but they are the kind that share the common goal of working for the betterment of Hong Kong rather than previously there were some who were working against the interests of Hong Kong and against the interests of the People's Republic of China. I also got a chance to speak to the former U.S. consul general in Hong Kong, Kurt Tong, who is now a partner over at Asia Group, and I asked him about this changing the changing in political environment here in Hong Kong and what he thinks about the upcoming LegCo elections. I would expect the the voter turnout to be rather low. Um, you know, the character of the election has, has changed significantly from five years ago, where there was really a sense that the Legislative Council election could have a major impact on the direction of the governance of the city, and that just doesn't seem to be the case now. I think people in Hong Kong still have some hope that the Legislative Council might uh, help enhance accountability in in the government, but but that also remains to be seen given the very narrow range of choices that, that voters have. The Legislative Council elections have been pushed back by one year, originally slated for September 2020, but because of COVID, the government has pushed it to this weekend. Uh, so we are gonna be, of course, waiting on the election and uh, the outcome is not expected until Monday afternoon because the counting of the votes over the three constituencies uh, will take place at different times. In order to boost uh, people's awareness and uh, encourage people to go out and vote, uh, Carrie Lamb has basically made for for free public transportation on Sunday. So if you take the bus, the MTR, which is the subway, or the tram, it's going to be free on Sunday in a bid to help boost voter numbers.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on
2: this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.